I want to take just a minute and look at you. I have the privilege of going all over our denomination and around the world, and I often look out at faces and I see a few, a person here or there whom I might know. But today, I'm with my family. And to be back home here in Richmond is just an extraordinary gift. And so I am honored to be here and to share in this time of worship with you and grateful to God for all of his blessings to each of us. I'm going to read our, our scripture passage, but in, if you happen to want to follow along in your pew Bible, I'm actually reading from the message this morning because it's such a familiar passage <clears throat> that I find that this translation gives a renewed meaning to these words. So if you would just like to listen and hear this interpretation, I invite you to do so. God knew what God was doing from the very beginning. God decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love God along the same lines as the life of God's Son. The Son stands first in the line of humanity, he resorted. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. After God made that decision of what his children should be like, he followed it up by calling people by name. And after he called them by name, God set them on a solid basis with God. And then, after getting them established, God stayed with them to the end, gloriously completing what he had begun. So what do you think? With God on our side, how can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and being exposed to the worst by sending Jesus, is there anything God wouldn't do gladly and freely for us? And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? Who would dare to even point a finger? The one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at this very moment sticking up for us. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There is no way. Not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. They kill us in cold blood because they hate you. We're sitting ducks. They pick us off one by one. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I am absolutely convinced, says Paul, that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our Master, has embraced us. This is All Saints Day. I stand before you with the privilege of serving as moderator of our denomination. But there are a number of people whom I consider to be saints who have worn this cross and have also served as moderator of our denomination in one of its forms or another before now. And in fact, there are several in this congregation. And I would like for those of you who are related, rather, to those saints um, to stand right now. Ginger, would you and your father, Andy Taylor... John Caldwell, your father Frank. Are there others? I can't see who's back there. T- tell me who you are. 
Okay, Jazz A. Jones, yes, good, grandson, wonderful. These saints have been um, an important part of our, our heritage, and as we celebrate the saints of today, we certainly also lift them up in our thoughts and prayers. And let me say to you, I don't ever put on this cross without thinking of those who have worn it and, have hum- and am humbled at the privilege of being able to wear it. I'll do my best not to embarrass it or you as I do so. And I know I stand in the pulpit of some of our great denominational leaders and former moderators. Your current pastor, Alec, to whom I express sincere gratitude for making this day happen, is another special leader in our denomination. And I remember listening to my first sermon preached in a Scottish brogue sitting in this congregation, unaware at that time of the importance of that heritage, but intrigued and riveted by the power of the word spoken with a brogue. I can't do that for you today, folks, but uh, at any rate, I'll use my southern Richmond accent to try to do my best. I'm also today standing in front, as I said a moment ago, of my family. A number of our Lakeside family came in as we were singing at the very beginning, and some of you were already here. My Lakeside family, who nurtured and reared me, who loved and helped me celebrate the lives of my mother and father, who helped shape my dear sister Hazel's faith, who I'm so grateful is here with us today, And then was the congregation who loved my wife when I married and helped us raise our two daughters. And also my second Presbyterian family, where I did my field work as a seminary student. Even though I did not choose to become an ordained pastor, the experience I gained here was remarkable and very meaningful and has helped me be an elder and clerk of session in several churches. So many of you have cared for and nurtured us over the years, and many of you are among our closest friends. Likewise, I know there are some others of you who are gathered here today who have been integral parts of Peggy's in my life, and we're grateful that you choose to be here for this time and to worship with us. A number of years when I was inaugurated as president of the Presbyterian School of Christian Education, a beloved former minister of this church and former moderator of our denomination and his wife paid Peggy and me a visit. Al Wynn, a true saint, had been president also of Louisville Presbyterian Seminary before becoming pastor of this congregation, and he and Grace were dearly loved. Al sat in our living room in a rocking chair across from the sofa where I was seated. I'd already gotten to know him and to value the gift of his presence. He was an exceptional preacher and teacher as well as pastor and listener. He never called attention to himself, so I was a bit surprised when he said he had some advice he wanted to give to me. Al was not usually known as an advice giver, but I eagerly awaited his next words. He shared that one time during his tenure as president of Louisville Seminary that he was faced with making some very tough decisions that could impact the seminary's future, and my ears perked up having just been inaugurated as president of one of those theological schools. He said he was having a sleepless night as he weighed the pros and cons of each option and was just scared to death that he would make the wrong decision. One night, according to Al, he was amazed at hearing what he thought to be the voice of God. He listened carefully, and this was the message. Al Wynn, I have loved this seminary and watched it over many years, long before you became a part of it. And if I want it to continue, I will see that it happens. Now go back to sleep. That was a powerful message to me. It helped to focus my attention on places which were different than the ones on which I had been concentrating. 
In a very gracious way, Al's words helped me to realize that I was a fairly unimportant part of the equation. A being much greater than I was in control. And that advice has served me well over the years, and I believe it could serve us all well as we look at our denomination today. Think about the church in Romans as Paul was writing to them. The passage we read today is one of the most familiar in the New Testament. And though I read the words from the message, which aren't quite as familiar as the passage many of us have memorized or know so well, um, I'm going to read it to you real briefly, just the one last verse, because it is the most familiar part, and I'm going to read it in the more familiar translation. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ Jesus our Lord. It's become so simple, it's become so familiar that it almost sounds simple, but those words pack a wallop. You see, we don't need to fear the fact that there are those who do not affirm us. Ever since Jesus was on earth, there were forces at work trying to undercut him. There were temptations and there were those wanting to mislead or divert his attention. And so it is for us as a denomination today. Friends, we cannot let the demons of distraction and division overtake the important work we are doing in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus' words words inspired those words from Al Wynn who was modeling what was said in this Romans passage. Jesus had a way of keeping grace and redemption high above every other pressing matter. I think that's relevant to our denomination, the PCUSA. In the Gospels, we read that demons distract, demons distort, demons stir up anxiety, and demons push despair. Jesus quieted the demons so that the grace and hope of God could be heard and seen and embraced far above the sounds of those demons. And you and I are called to do the same thing. But sometimes it is so easy to be frustrated or distracted. A short while after being elected moderator, I asked the six communication directors from the six different agencies of our denomination to come and retreat with me in Montreat. And I suggested to them that I felt we were at a time in our denomination's history where we were being defined much more by those outside of our church than those within. To me, it appears that the media and some dissidents have gotten control of our message and related who we are to the rest of the world through their lenses. I suggested to them that it was time for us to take back the message and to let the world know that the PCUSA is centered around the belief that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, pure and simple. Everything out of us grows out of that basic premise. Likewise, let's look at the church where we are gathered this morning, Second Presbyterian Church of Richmond, unique, remarkable, a history that is extraordinary. But has this church chosen to live on its laurels, Or is it reconfiguring itself to be a part of the city of Richmond and the Commonwealth of Virginia for the future? It would be so easy for this beautiful place to become a monument to the Christian church of the past. But your presence here today and having personal knowledge of the many ways you reach outside of your walls to be the church alive rather than the church of retreat 
lets me know that you are focusing on the true message and witness of Jesus Christ. You know what the main emphasis of the faith should be. And likewise to my friends from Lakeside who are joining in our gathering today, a church that has seen its profile change dramatically in the past few years, a church that has had to make tough decisions about its future and even now is still exploring what God may want it to be. And I would say to my Lakeside family that whatever that will look like, God is not going to let the power and legacy of Lakeside fail. Look at the models that you have brought to our denomination. You were one of the first churches to ever have a family camp in our denomination. You were one of the first to experiment with intergenerational Sunday schools and with, uh, with other Christian education programs. You initiated the house church movement and your involvement in social ministry and early childhood education over the years has been a model which is now embraced throughout our denomination as well as in many other places. Feel a sense of pride and gratitude in the reality that you have done wondrous things and that you have been and will continue to be a very important part of Christ's mission, even if it's in a different form. And I might add, you have nurtured a number of Presbyterian ministers. Both of these churches have. Lakeside nurtured the dean of the Presbyterian Seminary in Charlotte, Richard Boyce, who is an outstanding biblical scholar and pastor. And, well, you even raised up a moderator. So Lakeside, you are alive and well. There's an old Yiddish poem that goes like this, and it says, if your outlook on things has changed, this is not the main thing. If you feel like laughing at old dreams, this is not the main thing. If you recall errors of which you are now ashamed, this is not the main thing. Even if you know that what you are doing now you will regret some other time, this is not the main thing. But beware, lightheartedly, not to conclude from this that there is no such thing as the main thing. This is the main thing. There may be no greater gift that Jesus offers the world of distractions and distress and despair than keeping the focus of his life and ministry on the main thing of God's hope and grace. Jesus does not leave us alone. Jesus is beside us every step of the way. And when we become distracted and fearful about our future, we have lost our way. Christian theologian Reinhold Niebuhr, in his powerful book, The Nature and Destiny of Man, wrote that anxiety, unfocused fear of the unknown, fear of our mortality as a race or as individuals, fear of death, is the source of what Christianity means by sin. So let us look at our denomination, just as Paul was looking at the church in Rome. What are the real issues which define us, not what distract us? If we as Presbyterians have listened to our distractors in the past years and months, we will usually hear three descriptors used to define who we are as a church. Number one, we're a large mainline church dying. Number two, we are a split church over the issue of gay marriage. Or number three, for those who've been paying attention and have read the front pages, we are a country that has made, a denomination that has made decisions about divesting from Israel and have angered our Jewish friends and brothers in ways that mean we are fighting within our own selves. Well, as Paul Harvey said, let me tell you the rest of the story. The first is related to the fact that we're a mainline denomination which is losing its members in a dramatic manner and will likely die within a short period of time. I agree, our church is dying. 
But what is dying is the church of the 1950s, which reared and shaped me and which I loved devotedly. And I have felt sadness and grief about that. But I have come to realize that maybe, just maybe, that church of yesterday is not the church Jesus calls us to be today. And I am convinced that the PCUSA is not dying, but is alive and well and vital. Yes, churches all over this country have lost membership. And as I shared in the Sunday school class, we as a denomination lost 152,000 members from our church, from our churches last year. 152,000. And have lost many over the past decade. But sociologists and religious scholars say that this is more of a cultural change than a change in support or rejection of what our policies are. The church just isn't as important to our society as it once was. Our losses are very similar to other mainline denominations who may or may not be dealing with some of the issues we are. But unlike what our critics say, the majority of our losses are not primarily due to discontents. 20% of those former members died. 60% left because of being removed from the roles of churches as inactive members. And 20% left to become members of other faith communities or pulled out of our denomination because of their dissatisfaction. Many of those were lost because of death, for we are a denomination with many people over the age of 80. But did you know we had 72,000 people join the Presbyterian Church USA last year? 72,000 people in a time when being a part of a church is no longer viewed as being the socially accepted thing to do or the place where you find your friends or business associates. My own congregation in Asheville is 75 years old. We were told at our congregational meeting this year for the first time in our history we have more members under the age of 45 than over. Why, we ask. And these young people, or young adults, said, because the Presbyterian Church offers us a safe place to grow and question our faith. We don't feel judged. We don't feel condemned. We feel loved and accepted and affirmed. I can't help think, but think that Jesus would like to hear that. We are told as Presbyterians that churches are leaving our denomination, and that's true. Over 350 churches have left us in the past five years. That's a lot of congregations. But did you realize that we are a congregation that still has over 10,000 congregations? When we talk about 350, you do the statistics and see how big a percentage that is of congregations. And many of those that are still alive and a part of our denomination are growing and being revitalized with hope and grace. And we do we see that in a denominational program which was to start 1,009 new worshiping communities in 10 years, we are ahead of the game, whereas we had hoped to have over 100 new worshiping communities by this past June's General Assembly. We had over 250 there are now almost 300, and more than half of them are comprised of people of different cultures or nationalities. Many are not even English-speaking. Our vice moderator of the denomination, a young, wonderful Chinese-American pastor named uh, Larissa Kwong Abasia, who's in Queens, New York, she and I are partners to the nth degree. She's the pastor of a church of 168 people where people speak 24 different languages, and represent 60 different cultures. There is no majority culture in her, in her church. 
Now, I mentioned that we have over, that we're trying to have this number grow. We also have been talking about our lessening impact on evangelism. And many people say Presbyterians are no longer doing anything to reach out to help work throughout the world. But you know, we do still have 180 PCUSA mission co-workers. I grew up calling them missionaries, but the right term today is mission co-workers. 180 of these people around the world in, in over 60 countries. Whereas we used to rely on these to be the people of outreach on our behalf, we now have literally thousands of Presbyterians who are serving in mission around the world. Some, like a number of you in this congregation, go on work mission trips. Some are medical personnel and go on mercy missions. Some go and feed hungry and hold babies. And therefore, we have many thousands of people serving on the mission field each year, more than we've ever had in our history. It's just that they look different in terms of the way they're configured and supported. We also have over 100 young adult volunteers going around the world and throughout this country giving their time and energy for at least a year of service and mission to Jesus Christ through full-time service in our denomination, and that number is predicted to double this coming year, over 200, and will continue to grow dramatically. Some are, as I mentioned, here in the United States, and if Second Church and Lakeside have not had the benefit of one, I'd suggest you look into that as an option. And do we ever stop to say that to people who say we are not sharing the good news about our Lord by letting them know that 94 million people around the world belong to churches that were founded or co-founded by the Presbyterian Church USA or its predecessor bodies. 94 million people around the world claim to be Christians because of what our church does. We haven't minimized evangelism. It's just growing, and many people are doing it with us as partners. I've had the privilege of going on a number of places since my election as moderator, big and small churches, meetings with Palestinian spokespersons, Jewish rabbis, the White House with President Obama one day, and spending the next night at a homeless shelter for men in New York City, speaking to multicultural church leaders, evangelicals, leaders of denominational offices and middle governing bodies, having dinner with our mission co-workers the night before they were dispersed across the world, and representing our denomination just a few weeks ago, as I shared with the children, to the church in Lebanon and Syria and Iraq and Jordan and Israel-Palestine, and the list continues. And do you know what they ask me to say to you? What message they say for me to share? Over and over again they say, thank you, Presbyterian Church USA, for being a denomination that gives us and others hope. Thank you for your stands for justice. Thank you that you don't judge everybody, but instead offer grace and a safe place for people to come and learn about Jesus Christ and are willing to be the church outside of your walls. You see, my friends, we as Presbyterians have built a reputation of caring, which is backed up by our having an office in the United Nations, our being represented in Congress with, with lobbyists, our having networks around the world who seek not only to tell the good news, but also to feed the hungry and care for the poor and serve the sick. And unfortunately, many of the churches who are choosing to leave our body don't recognize that their network hasn't been able to be built up over the years and they'll no longer be able to be partners in the privilege of serving Christ in these extraordinary ways. 
Recently, Peggy and I met in Reno, Nevada, of all places. I won't say whether we gambled or not, um, but at any rate, um, we didn't, but it, I, I will go on. <laughs> but we met with several hundred Korean pastors and their wives who are, men, who are ministers in the PCUSA, both in this country and a few who came over from Korea to, for that meeting. Those rela- relationships have been very strong and powerful for many, many years. But some of our decisions in recent general assemblies have called consternation, caused consternation and despair and unhappiness with our Jewish brothers and sisters. The Korean churches in this country have said they will not separate from us. They've said that even if we make some decisions that differ from their own understandings, we are a family that is embedded in the body and foundation of Jesus Christ. They've said that even when we make decisions that differ from their own understandings, it's like being in a family which disagrees with one another. Sometimes we even get angry with one another. Peggy and I have been married for 48 years, and if you think I'm going to stand in this pulpit and tell you we've never had a disagreement or been angry with one another, you are grossly mistaken. But we couldn't love each other any more than we do. Usually we continue loving one another when we're in a family and we don't abandon each other. So it should be with our own denomination. Let's grow from our different interpretations of what it means to be the church, because we do have the same foundation. On our recent trip to the Middle East, we visited with our Christian family members who are in horrible situations, being ousted from their homes, bombed and victimized, raped and abused, but their faith is so strong. I was invited to go there as your representative to let the Christians in those lands know that the Christians in the Presbyterian Church are caring for them and are praying for them. The Roman Catholics, Pope Francis, and the Presbyterians in this country are the two bodies of faith that these Christians reached out to and asked to send ambassadors in order to share with them this love and some desire that we have hope for them. Likewise, soon we will be meeting with immigration officials and illegals on the Texas-Mexican border and will visit with the mothers who've made the extraordinary sacrifice of giving up their children to come to the United States. And they are prepared, I imagine, to thank me on behalf of the work of our church, which we have been doing in order to love and care for them and their children during these darkest days of their lives. Our roles in sharing the good news has, in some way, changed from just telling stories about who Jesus is and introducing Christ to being one which models love and support to those who are experiencing life's greatest trials. Some say we are too involved in politics in the Presbyterian Church. And on the one hand, people say we should be above politics. But on the other hand, we live and witness in a world where political realities impact the issues of justice and humanitarian concerns for our sisters and brothers. And Presbyterians have always been involved in positions. That's why there are more former presidents and more former senators and congressional representatives who were members of the Presbyterian Church than any other religious body. And though Jesus did tell us to render to Caesar what is Caesar's, He also let us know that we need to stand up for justice when those who are being oppressed have no voice. But let me hasten to add that these should be journeys of love and care and support, even if they are to be confrontational. 
Since I mentioned that some may take issues with other elements uh, uh, in which we are involved, let me also make one other point about those who are taking issue with our denomination and that I also mentioned in Sunday school. Friends, it is not wrong for people to understand how to be the church in different ways. There is nothing wrong with that. That's why we have different faiths. It's why we have different denominations. It's also why there are so many different interpretations of various components of faithful following, even in our own denomination. When someone or somebody of the church decides that it is time to leave and join another fellowship, I believe we should join with those people and follow the laws of the church and of the state, hold their hands, and offer prayers for them as they seek to be faithful followers. Doing so is not sinful. Believing differently is not always an act of hostility. However, when their decision is hostile and based on misinterpretations or untruths, then I believe we need to represent Jesus Christ and be upfront in being bold with our own witness. We need to tell the truth as we understand it, not in a vindictive nor angry way, but one that models the peacemaker, Jesus Christ. The time is now, my friends, for us to change the message that is being shared about us and to come forward boldly and tell the truth. We are a church like the one at Corinth. We have much to do in order to be stronger and better witnesses of Jesus. But we are honest and we're honorable and we're faithful. Every member of our denomination states openly when joining the PCUS that they believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Some of our distractors say we don't believe that but they're not telling the truth. We all say that he is our pathway to eternal life when we join the church. Some say that we no longer believe in the Bible as the authoritative word of God. But our book of order requires that every ruling elder and teacher, ruling teacher, ruling teaching elder, let me start again. We keep changing that nomenclature. Every ruling elder and teaching elder in our denomination, that's preachers and session members, Um, need to believe in the authority of the scriptures. We say that in our vows when we become ordained. We may interpret the scriptures differently, but we all say that God's word is authoritative. You see, we see, as it tells us in Corinthians, through a mirror dimly, we see the best to the best of our ability, but we don't see the full truth. We have not been given that lens. So we must be willing to listen and learn what others see and not judge them as though we are the only ones who know the full truth. Only God knows that, and God has assured us that we will one day. Remember once more, you and I are members of a denomination that has done so much in the past to share the good news. We are a church of hope and of grace, of justice and of love. And I believe when Al Wynn said that if God wants us to continue to be his flock, in this manifestation of Jesus' church, we will continue to do so. It is our responsibility to build it up, not to tear it down. Listen again to the words of Paul in Romans 8. And this time, hear it by way of a young person's song, which I learned with young people from this church in Lakeside at a Montreat conference not too many years, well, a long time ago. And if you happen to know it, join in and sing with me. Some of you might confess to having been youth a few years ago also. It goes like this. For I'm persuaded to believe that you can't separate us from the wonderful Word of God. 
for above us God will send us and will come to live within us while in this sinful world we trod. Neither height nor depth nor principalities, things present nor things to come. And though the powers hate us, they will never separate us from the wonderful love of God. So move forward, Second Presbyterian Church. Move forward, Lakeside Presbyterian Church, knowing that you have the power of God's care and love. Carry on. Celebrate your past by committing to lay the groundwork to be missionaries for Christ in the future. Your denomination salutes you. Your city and community salutes you. And I am sure that God is smiling in whatever fashion God smiles as you begin, as you gather to begin anew in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray. God bless us. Bless our churches. And God, open our hearts and minds that whatever we do may be faithful to your calling of us and not done just because of our own selfish motives. Thank you for the privilege of being your children. Thank you for caring for us and continue to bless the people who are gathered in this congregation this morning. Amen.